Welcome to the Branches Podcast. Following the lead of Jesus, we seek to embrace people regardless of their background or their present ground in the hope they find holy ground. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about the reckless love of Jesus or our community of faith, please visit our website at branchesoc.com. He was considered the wisest man that so incredibly wise. We know he had a lot of stuff going on, including a lot. He had a lot of things in life that he pursued. And so this is kind of how the writer starts introducing himself and saying, I am the teacher. I am the preacher. I am the philosopher. I am the one who has pursued wisdom and knowledge. And we think as Solomon come towards, comes towards the end of his life and all that he's experienced, he begins to pen these words and reflect back. And he begins to ask these huge questions like, why am I here? Like, really, why am I here? What has this journey been all about and all that I've been blessed with? And as we come out of Thanksgiving, for me, I just had a season, this last season, where I just, I feel really, really thankful. It wasn't hard to muster up thankful. It's actually pretty easy. And in the midst of that, I just started asking myself, like, what, what am I really thankful for, though? Like, where does that gratitude come from? Is it, is it just a list of the things that we would normally go through, which, not to minimize those, but family and, and the fact that we have provision in our life and that God has given us health, and, and those are amazing things, but I, I was trying to dig for something deeper. And as I continue to read through this text, I saw Solomon wrestling with what comes out of this life. Look at verse 3. He kind of sets up this journey he's going to take us on as he begins to write this beautiful poetry, and he says... What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil? So all the work that you put in, all the stuff that went into getting family to your home or getting to your family's home this this holiday season, all the toil, all the work, all the struggle, all the striving, all the goods, all the bads, all of the journey, what do people gain? He's asking, what do we really get out of this? And I want to hone in on this one key phrase, under the sun. Under the sun is a really key phrase because Solomon is setting up this conversation to look at everything that you can see with your eyes, everything that you can hear with your ears, everything that we can perceive under the sun in this natural world that God has given us. And he's really viewing life of um, life without any connection to God. It's just life. And that, that's really what he's trying to capture when he says under the sun. It, it's literally a life lived solely by our limited view, what we can see, what we can experience. And I have to be honest, we feel incredibly blessed under the sun. God has given us so much, right? And I think that's kind of our natural bent as we come into this season and being thankful is to, is to kind of list through, you know, I'm thankful for family, I'm thankful for food, I'm thankful for you and my life. And, and Solomon is not minimizing those, but he's going to get pretty intense here. And he goes down this path that's saying, under the sun, with everything you've been blessed with, you still end up empty-handed at the end of the day. It's still not enough. He's going to walk us through this journey of basically saying, you can spend your whole life toiling, striving, searching for meaning, doing incredible things. And at the end of the day, what do you leave behind? He has an answer for us in just a bit. Let's go verse 4. I'm going to read a couple sections out of this. Uh, Verses 4 to 7. Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. 
The sun rises and the sun sets, and it hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and it turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. Incredible writer. He's writing this beautiful poetry about the fact that generations come and go. We're so focused on us and now and here and in this moment, we forget that generations have come before us, have come and gone, have lived and experienced and toiled and worked and strived for meaning. And he says that the winds blow, right? We don't see where the wind blows, but we know that the winds continue to blow and they circle the earth and the sea. It never fills up. The streams come and they flow into the sea and and the ocean fills up with water, but it doesn't fill up and it evaporates and moves back in. And he's, he's pointing out these beautiful cycles in the natural world that we see all around us. The sun comes up every morning, not early enough, but it comes up every morning. And then it sets every evening and we have this, this natural cycle in the natural world. And then he goes on in verse 8. All things are wearisome, he says, more than one can say. Told you it's going to get a little bit depressing here. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. Think about that for a moment. Our eyes, we, we can't get enough of seeing. Have you been to a place beautiful? Maybe it's one of your favorite spots in the ocean. Maybe, you know, we're talking about next summer, maybe driving out by through the Grand Canyon. And Do your eyes, like, can you really get enough? Or it's, it's always just a little more, right? And hearing, can you... If you picture the most beautiful sound, whether it's the sound of the voice of one of your children, or that may not be the most beautiful sound, depending on the day, or, or, uh, or maybe one of your most, you know, just your favorite music, or maybe the sound of something that just connects you to nature and beauty, we, we don't fill up, right? We, don't have a, we can't see enough. We can't hear enough. He goes on. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new, he's saying. There is nothing new under the sun. And then he says, is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations. And even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. Everything is meaningless. That's his summary when he looks back on life and all that he had. Everything is is exhausting, it's wearisome, it's disappointing. No matter how much we see, no matter how much we hear, no matter how much we've been given, no matter how much we take in, it's never enough. With the greatest accomplishments, everything in this life, there is nothing new under the sun. I not mean that totally literally, because, you know, my mind can always take things hyper-literal, and I'm like, well, what about the new iPhone, you know? And then you're like, well, actually, that's not new. It's just like the one they made before, only bigger and more expensive, and the one before and the one before and the one before. There's nothing new as, as metaphors. He's speaking philosophically. He's trying to speak wisdom into us to say, to recognize that there is nothing. There is nothing under the sun that's going to bring full and complete joy and meaning and sustenance. The kings of the day, kings like Solomon, would, would go out and build great edifices and and temples, and statues to certain people, and homes, incredible, lavish. And, and they were trying to make their mark. They were trying to leave something behind, right? They were trying to leave a legacy. And Solomon points out, and this is true, I think, of the kings of today, 
that it's still meaningless, that it will still fade and go away, it will crumble, it will fall. In the end, he says, it just doesn't matter. Now, we talk in our family sometimes about adulting. As we have two teenagers, we're talking about adulting, and I complain about how adulting isn't always as all it's cracked up to be. You get a free weekend, you got to work on the house, or whatever it might be, and, and they keep reminding me we shouldn't have to be adulting yet because we're only teenagers. And I don't know if you've seen this cycle of adulthood, but I want to put this, this uh, little chart up on the screen for you and walk you through it. Pretty great. So we start at the top. We wake up. Then we check our social media and get sad. Then we go to work. We're going to follow the weekday first. Then we go to work. Then we come home. Then we watch TV, and then we go to bed. Then we question the meaning of life. We just sleep for a few hours, and we start the cycle all over again. And then on the weekends, hey, hold on, on the weekends, you wake up, check your social media, get sad, don't forget that. You run your errands, destroy your body with food or alcohol, go to bed, question the meaning of life, sleep for a few hours, and wake up. I told you it's going to be a little depressing. <laughs> There's an irony to it, right? It's funny, we laugh, and hopefully not all of those things are a part of your life, but they do represent what our world has to offer. They do represent life under the sun. When we walk through our neighborhoods, we walk through our jobs, we walk through life with people, and we recognize this, for so many of us, is, is it. That's it. This one big monotonous cycle of life. I know in our house we're always wrestling, like, what's for dinner, right? That's always the, like, dinner comes for some reason every night. And we both work, and so we're, you know, like, okay, we're busy. Like, well, what's for dinner? The monotony, the consistency, the pattern, the cycle. Solomon recognizes this, and in all of his wisdom, he's, he's asking this profound, profound question. Where does he leave us? Where do we end up? Later in the book of Ecclesiastes, to get really down, he just goes, we end up dead. Because at the end of the day, we end up dead and nothing matters. That's the place that he's, he's taking us to in this book. And it's probably why this book isn't like read a lot. You don't have like really cool plaques up at the Christian, we don't even have Christian bookstores anymore, but at the little, there's not like little neat little charts with a sand dollar glued to it. It's like, you know, life is meaningless. We should probably start a line of that. We might be able to make zero dollars. I think so often, and this is really true in the church too, we, we buy into this belief that if we have a good life, if we live a good life, if we come to church, if we do these things, then we will get X, right? God will bless us. Things will be good. We won't get sick. We, and it's just, it's just not true. This, this scripture, this text, this book of wisdom, much like Psalms and Proverbs and, and Job, are in our scriptures to remind us that that equation doesn't work in God's economy. That just striving for more, looking for more, seeking out pleasure, looking for wisdom even, or knowledge, building up accomplishments in our life, it all ends up in the same place. It's empty. So here, here we are, this great philosopher, one of the most wise people in the world. And wherever we're at, we're at in this stage of our life, this is the second verse. After he introduces himself, we skip this. He says this at the very beginning of the book. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. He uses the word meaningless 38 times in this book, five times in one sentence alone. The word actually means breath. It means vapor. It means meaningless. It's something you can't grab onto. It fades. It, it, like the fog, it just dissipates and disappears into nothing. He says, wisdom 
It's meaningless. Family, meaningless. Stay with me. I told you it's going to be a little depressing. We're going to turn the corner in just a minute. Marriage, meaningless. Pleasure, he goes on to, through chapters of, of metaphor of just fully embracing pleasure and everything that the world under the sun has to offer. And he says it's meaningless. Wealth, money, friends, meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. He sums it all up in verse 14. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them. And from the life we have documented of Solomon, he experienced all of it and then some. I've seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless. They're just a chasing after the wind. I love that picture because so much in my life, when I think about my life, I can just chase the wind. I can just chase the wind. And Solomon uses that picture that it would stick with us to say, listen, I am bringing this perspective, this hopefully wisdom, this, this poetry, and this what could have been even some song to you to say, listen, when we look at life under the sun, when we extract God, when we extract the Holy Spirit, when we extract and take out Jesus Christ, and I write to you in this whole first chapter without, without God, the thing that stands out the most in the beginning of this text is the absence of God. He's not there. He's not present. It's the only book of the Bible that really functions that way. He says, without that, there is nothing. It is meaningless. And we have so much. I have so much. It's so easy for me to go through the cycle and just be grateful and feel blessed, especially in this season. And yet, I'm just so convicted in my own heart, my own mind right now, that we've got to look for more. We've got to recognize the power of Christ in our day-to-day lives. Solomon was very wise in chapter 3, verse 11. He's going through his perspective, and, and he says this. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He's made everything beautiful in his time. And then he says this phrase. He has also set eternity in heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. We have to open our eyes and recognize that deep inside our heart, deep inside your neighbor's heart and your co-worker's heart, God has set eternity. He has set a deep desire for the meaningful, not the meaningless. He set a deep passion, a deep need. You've maybe heard it called a God-shaped hole. There's something missing from us that unless we know Christ and unless we pursue God and all that he is, we will chase and chase and chase and chase after the wind. We'll chase after the wind. I don't know if you've ever had a moment where you've seen something and it's brought like a whole new perspective or you've had like an epiphany or you've had like a shift of awareness where you go, oh my goodness, I'll never look at that same, the same way again. That's what Solomon is hoping will happen here is that we will take a shift from seeing the meaningless to the meaningful and the difference is Christ. How many of you have had FedEx show up at your house before? Let's put that first image of FedEx up, bud. Thanks, bud. FedEx, they don't come to my house as often as UPS does. I don't know, Amazon likes UPS more. And then these random drivers in the white trucks show up with Amazon packages. I don't know, it's a little creepy, but FedEx logo. How many of you have ever seen the arrow in the FedEx logo? I don't know if you know that, but can you go to the next one? We'll just make sure everybody can see it. Ah, that's what I said the first time. 
there's, there's an arrow. It's built in. It's very intentional. You know, when the designers, graphic designers built it, it's, it creates movement. It creates motion. And here's the thing, though. From now on, if you hadn't seen that before, and if the, you remember the first time you saw that, every time I see the FedEx logo, all I see is the arrow. Right? Like, it just changes your perspective. It's all I ever see. My, my, uh, my kids introduced me to this one, the Hyundai logo. Let's go to that next one. Hyundai logo, it's an H for Hyundai. I'm like, yeah, it's an H. They put it on the back of their car. They're trying to make it look cool, sell cars, whatever. But it actually is a metaphor. It is actually supposed to be the customer shaking hands with the company. It's because they want to be a customer-focused company. It's why they have good warranties and whatever else. So now every time I see a stupid Hyundai, I go back to that, that one before. Would you bet? <clears throat> now all of a sudden you can see two people shaking hands, right? Like it just shifts your perspective. You can, you can kind of see the, the flow, the feel of what they're going for. And, and silly examples, but there are certain things in our lives, spiritually, we need to see, and we need to, to see differently. We need to have our eyes open. We need to have our ears unplugged. Jesus constantly used the phrase, for he who has ears, for she who has ears, let them hear. That our ears would be opened, that our eyes would be opened. That all of a sudden, something like this life that can seem meaningless, that can seem like a chafing, chasing after the wind, goes from black and white into color. Goes from black. Hear, hear me say this. Your life doesn't have meaning because of what you do. Your, your life doesn't have meaning because of all that you do or all that you've done. It just, just doesn't. It doesn't have any meaning because of what you've accomplished. But what you do has meaning because of Christ. We can't go out and try to work and strive and toil for meaning. We have to work from meaning. We have to reverse the order. We have to make sure it's in the right space, in the right place. Because so often we think that as we go out, we work harder, we strive for things, we gain, we accomplish. That that somehow gives us value and meaning. And that's not what Jesus says at all. He says, you are my beloved. I love you. You have meaning because of who you are, just as a human being, period. That's it. And as we receive that love and respond back in love to Christ and to others, he says, now, now you have a new identity. Now you have a new place to live from. Now when you come into Thanksgiving and you come into Christmas, you get to work from a place of meaning, not trying to work for meaning. Radically, radically different perspective. When we feel like uh, work or school is this cycle of monotony and meaninglessness, God asks us to look around us and recognize that we come from a place of value and meaning and work as if we were working for God. That we would work whatever we do, whether it's, again, school or a job we get paid for. My kids always complain they don't get paid for their school. We would, that we would actually strive in a way. We would work in a way that recognizes we have meaning and we are doing it for Christ. When life seems monotonous and boring or just stuck in a rut, that we would recognize that all the heavens declare the glory of God. That we would just be able to open our eyes and our ears and look and, and see and hear around us. Maybe the, the, the wearisome nature of life is just grinding on your soul. Maybe you're depressed. Maybe you're wrestling with just, maybe the holiday season is a really hard time for you because of brokenness in your family that you would recognize that Christ says, I am with you. 
I am with you, the God of the universe, the one who created you, who knows you, who knew you as you were being knit together, as Psalm 139 says, in your mother's womb. And wherever you go, to the heights, to the depths, as far as the east is from the west, that God, God is with you. And he wants to give you an easy and light yoke with him. Maybe we feel like no one will ever remember us. What has my life really added up to? And God says, I know you. I will never forget you. You are on my heart. You are on my mind. There's an author named Alan Jones. He's a writer in kind of the spiritual formation world. And this quote of his has always stuck with me. He says this, The most difficult thing in believing is to accept that I am an object of God's delight. I think many of us buy into the fact that that God loves us. We follow Christ. We come to church. We've heard the scriptures taught. But I don't know if we believe God actually likes us. That God really delights in you. That he he loves you unconditionally, but he, he likes you. He delights in you. And it's, it's a really, really hard thing in the world we live in to believe that, to buy into that, to accept that truth. And that's what we're called to do. Solomon is hoping that we won't keep chasing the wind, but that instead we will find a life of meaning, deep, deep recognition that God loves us, that God likes us. Now, it'd be kind of ironic in my mind, to wrap up with like a long list of things to do this morning. And sometimes, I know I'm guilty of that as a teacher, preacher, as a pastor. I know we can be guilty of that just in our lives, right? There's this long list of to-dos. But I just want us to reflect on, on, a, on a verse, God, of uh, 1 Corinthians 10. That I think hits the essence of being a human being. Full of meaning. And this is from the message. Let's go ahead and throw it up there. It's from the message translation. And Eugene Peterson kind of writes it this way. He says, we want to live well, but our foremost efforts should be to help others live well. So you have meaning and value and purpose in who you are. And out of that, out of that space of delight, out of that space of God's love, you get to turn the corner and help others live a life full of meaning. It doesn't just, doesn't just stop with us. It doesn't just sit in this space in and of itself. It, it flows out of us. You think it's hard for us to accept that God delights in us, that he loves us and likes us? I know people that don't believe anyone loves them or likes them. At least that's what my be- their behavior would tell me about them. That would be the, the things that they express out of anguish and pain or the things that they express out of glossing over everything with everything. Everything's great. You spend time with some of those people who no matter what is going on in their life, everything is good. That's not the scripture I see that's full of pain and suffering and real recognition of that with a perspective of who God is in their life. God has adopted you as his son. He's adopted you as his daughter. You are his child. And the way 
to a life full of purpose, the way to a life of meaning is not chasing the wind. It's not striving after all the things that we see under the sun. But it's to flip the order, to see with new eyes and say, I am loved by God. I have meaning, I have purpose just in the, in the fact, in the truth, in the sense that God loves me and has chosen me. And I have chosen him and I will live that out. And now everything I do is full of meaning and purpose. Whether I work a repetitive, mundane, widget type of making job or I'm the highest level consultant down to being at home with your kids, to retire, to pick in school, pick the, pick the way you spend the best hours of your day. And Solomon wants a day-to-day, that we would live day-to-day in the love of Christ, and that would fill our life with meaning and fill to overflowing everything we do under the sun with meaning and purpose and life. That not only would we live well, but that we would help others around us to live well. That's my hope. That's my prayer as we go through the holiday season as a family, personally, that we would do that and we would do that well. Let's take a moment. Let's pray. band's going to come back up sing. I'm going to worship as sons and daughters of Christ. Lord, would you remind us this morning that we don't find meaning from what we do. We don't find purpose in all that we work to accomplish and strive for. God, that we we have meaning, we have purpose, we have value in you and you alone. And Lord, the beautiful thing, the paradox, the the connection to those is that when we live from that place, when we live from that space, Lord, everything becomes imbued, it becomes full, it becomes overflowing with purpose and meaning. And Lord, I just, my heart needs to be reminded of that. Lord, I confess that I can be frustrated and annoyed and grumpy and complaining that this world requires of us sometimes. Lord, give me eyes to see. Give me ears to hear. Give me purpose in my hands and my feet and my mind, Lord. That in all that is under the sun, I would see you and your purposes and your meaning. God, we worship you. We praise you. And as we sing these words, Father, would you set these truths deep in our hearts that we may be responding to you and serving you as a church family. Jesus, we love you. Let's stand and let's continue to sing and worship together. Amen. Um, I, during the sermon today, I kept thinking of a quote by Jim Carrey. Uh, <laughs> um, if I was if I was G Money, I would quote the Bible right now. But I am me. I am Kirsten. <laughs> Uh, And he said, I think that everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that it's not the answer. Um, And you could, we could be depressed by that, right? But for me, like, there's such freedom in that. It means that if, if meaningless means vapor, it doesn't mean that those, it doesn't matter. Just like your breath. Um, And I just, I think it doesn't matter it meaning, if meaningless means that it's just quick it doesn't, and fast, and it doesn't mean that it's not worth doing, and it doesn't mean it's, it's not important. Um, and so I just pray that you would just breathe life into each other and others and love one another. Um, 
in whatever way that God's created you to do that. And just want you left um, and blessings on you. Lord, thank you um, for this time. You were here already, and think, um, we are here to meet you. Uh, thank you so much for uh, this day that will go by quickly, and the night that follows it that will also go by quickly. And I just pray that we would um, breathe you in and breathe you out. Uh, in your sweet name, amen. Don't forget your children. Amen.